This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, and welcome to the morning break. My name is Graham Stanley, and my special guest today is Dr. Gary Mottram from the University of Manchester in the UK. We'll be talking about education for sustainability, among other things. Please join me live if you can and take part in the conversation. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome to the morning break, everyone. I'm Graham speaking to you live from Mexico City. On today's show, I'll be talking to Dr. Gary Motteram, Honorary Senior Research Fellow of the University of Manchester in the UK. Gary started his professional life as a language teacher, working at first in the private sector in the UK and then moving abroad to work in Libya, Mongolia and Azerbaijan. He came back to the UK to study for a master's in education in teaching English overseas at the University of Manchester and was subsequently appointed a lecturer at the university, later completing a doctorate in education focusing on e-learning. At Manchester, Gary set up and ran the innovative Masters in Educational Technology in TESOL, which has now been replaced by the MA TESOL uh, with an educational technology pathway and an MA in digital technologies, communication education with a TESOL pathway. Gary was my tutor when I took a master's in educational technology and English language teaching at Manchester University some years ago. And I also had the pleasure of working with him on a European project and in the IATEFL, that's the Language Teachers Association uh, Learning Technology Special Interest Group. So I'm very pleased that you agreed to speak to me today. Remember, if you're listening in live and would like to join us, either to post questions for Gary or to answer uh, or to actually call in and speak to us, then please download the Podbean app, visit ttradio.org and click on Listen Live on the homepage. That should take you directly into the show. And there you can post comments and ask questions during our conversation. Once I've spoken to Gary a little bit about his work, then I'll open it up to any of you who want to call in. You can call in by pressing the icon at the top of the screen on your phone's app. Click this and I'll be able to connect you. So I'll be talking to Gary right after the Teacher Talk Radio News. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you, too, through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles, and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. 
a world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development, every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. SteveWoods.co.uk for educational support in IT and computer science. Coming up, I'm delivering a number of courses. Learn to program in Python is a free one-hour course designed to start you on your way into Python coding. Everything works in a browser, so there's nothing to install beforehand. Join me remotely to learn the basics on Wednesday the 8th of June, 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock. Visit SteveWoods.co.uk to start your journey. Are you a state school teacher in England? Why not be a hero this half-term and join me for two days and receive up to 1,360 pounds in bursary. Terms and conditions apply. Find out more at stevewoods.co.uk. Here at Witherslack Group, we are celebrating the launch of our new Luxborough Court School in Chigwell, Essex, with a very special one-day autism conference titled Enabling Inspirational Education. Taking place on Wednesday the 29th of June from 10am at Luxborough Court School, our event is dedicated to providing practical advice to education professionals working with neurodiverse children and young people. The event is free to attend and presentations on the day will focus on creating cultures of aspiration and excellence, supporting the emotional well-being of pupils, autism-friendly classrooms and managing challenging behaviour. So, whether you're looking to add to your extensive understanding or are new to SEN and wanting to build your knowledge, our conference will offer an amazing opportunity to engage with experts and network with colleagues from across the sector. Don't miss your chance to claim your free ticket and we hope you can join us for what's sure to be a fantastic day. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash events to register or contact events at witherslackgroup.co.uk for more information. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. Food Strategy White Paper is to be unveiled by Boris Johnson this week. The Prime Minister has been criticised for ignoring suggestions made by his food czar, Henry Dimbleby. At the moment, most children in Year 3 and above do not qualify for free school meals if their household income from work is more than £7,400 a year. Mr Dimbleby suggested either extending this to all children in households receiving universal credit or raising the income threshold to £20,000. Neither of these ideas has been included. According to campaigners Feeding Britain, extending eligibility would have benefited thousands of children. A government source has told the Mirror, we're very clear we will continue to keep preschool meals eligibility under review. In Scotland, the Liberal Democrats are challenging the Scottish Government over whether a promise to recruit more nursery teachers to work in the most deprived communities 
has been binned. In January 2017, Nicola Sturgeon, First Minister, committed that an extra 435 graduates would be in place in nurseries by 2018, at the time insisting the move was absolutely crucial to tackling the attainment gap. Liberal Democrat education spokesman Willie Rennie said, More than 100 nurseries in the most deprived communities in Scotland don't have the extra nursery teacher Nicola Sturgeon personally promised would arrive in 2018. Astonishingly, at the current rate of progress, it's going to take another 10 years for the SNP to meet what was a one-year target. Nicola Sturgeon promising education would be her number one priority feels like an awfully long time ago for children and parents. They are being taken for a ride. They deserve to know if the nursery staffing target will ever be met or if it has been binned too. Children's Minister Claire Hoy said, Since 2017, the early learning and childcare workforce has expanded massively, with graduate ELC staff increasing by more than half. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week's Two Minute Tech is in response to a Twitter post from Tom HB asking what makes a good multiple choice question. I'm not here to discuss the research behind questioning, you can do that on his show, but I can give you some tech that makes a good multiple choice question. Here I celebrate the beauty of tech and all the positives that we can gain. Did you know a lot of multi choice question builders will give you data? It is down to you to decide if the data is useful, however, the data Data is automatically generated, so you don't have to do any marking. Data can be exported and added to a spreadsheet for quick comparison. Electronic multi-choice questions can be shared easily. They work across multiple devices and can be reused or tweaked in future activities. Individual question feedback is available on the individual or the cohort. Everyone has their favourites. Some allow live synchronous participation. Others are asynchronous and can be done at any time. Kahoot is an example of this. Well known by teachers and it gives both of these options and has a bank of pre-made questions from its large community. The quiz platform you choose will depend on the required outcome. Do you want a quick poll during a presentation? Then iSpring will embed into a PowerPoint or a link to Mentimeter will let you get live feedback. Do you want to ensure knowledge is remembered through repetition? Then create a Google or Microsoft form, call it a breakout room and set it to go back to the beginning every time a question is answered incorrectly. This will force the correct answers to be entered to complete the room. And you will be the cool teacher that's down with the kids knowing what a breakout room is. Put simply, electronic quizzes can be great if you use one that suits your topic. Why not get in touch at TT Radio 2022 and tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello and welcome back, uh, everyone. My very special guest should be with me, Gary Mottram. I can see you in the studio, Gary. Can you hear me? Can you speak? Let me invite you as a speaker. Send the invite and you seem to be accepting. Hello, Gary. Gary, if you can hear me, Tom is suggesting you uh, leave and come back. 
the old turn it off and turn it on again trick, which usually helps. I hope you can do that. In the meantime, I'm going to play an interview with the executive head teacher, Rob James, from a brand new school by the Witherslack group called Luxborough Court School. And they're looking to recruit 100 plus new teachers or leaders for this school in Essex over the next few weeks. Um, so let's play that and then I'll see if we can get Gary back in after the interview. Right, everyone. Uh, welcome. I'm joined by Rob James, who is the executive principal of, is it Luxborough School, Rob? Let, let me uh, say it right. It is Luxborough, Luxborough Court. Uh, Luxborough School Court. Yeah, in Essex. Uh. Now, excitingly, it is a brand new school, right, which you are the executive leader of. Um, do you want to tell me, first of all, a little bit about you? and how you came to get to the point where you are now leading this this new school okay so um yeah I, i've been an executive head within the witherslack for the last couple of years um before that i was the head of, of a school over in rugby um and also supporting uh, new heads when they come into their into their roles to be honest within the group uh, so i was asked to take the lead on uh, recruiting opening uh, making sure that we're organising everything for Luxborough, uh, Luxborough Court, as it's a new venture for us, um, especially in that area. Um, so I suppose with my uh, sort of background in in setting new schools up, but also uh, running really good schools within our organisation, uh, they've asked me to take the lead on this at the moment. So yeah, very exciting, very exciting indeed. Um, I'm looking forward to it, yeah. What's the what? What is the idea behind this new school? You know, what what is this new school all about? So, Luxborough is going to be uh, a state of the art um, school. The facilities are, are are just amazing, and we're going to sort of enhance and 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 even improve on that as we go forward as well. Uh, but it's going to be uh, a school for children who live with autism. Uh, we have up to one hundred and fifty uh, places in there. Uh, we're going to be seen as a centre of excellence. Uh, so the, the calibre of the people that we want to bring into the organisation and into that school is all about giving the very best outcomes for the children that we're going to be within our care. Um, we have a proven track record across our whole organisation of doing this. Um, and this is us moving and, and expanding further south into, into the Essex area. So it's about putting down a marker of a truly, truly excellence for, uh, for our children that we're going to be working with. When you mention about state-of-the-art facilities, can you describe the building and the actual facilities that are, that are going to be there? Yeah, so a um, bit, bit of a subtext for you. It was actually built on the old Tottenham Hotspur, uh, Hotspur training ground. Um, so it's, uh, it's quite, a large, quite a large school, uh, especially for a relatively small amount of children in terms of 150, but not small in, in our world of, uh, of SEM. Um, it's got its own indoor um, sports hall it's got individual um sort of outward play outs or gardens for every single classroom the it infrastructure is, is there the corridors are open and expansive um it's, it's you know a lot of people listening to this will, will understand the limitations that schools can have on, on what they can do for the children uh, but luxborough literally has everything that we need and more to give the children the real real best um, sort of opportunity to be able to succeed 
Um, it's a real wow moment, Tom, if I'm honest with you. You walk through the front door um, and past the reception, just walk, walk through and then you turn left into this corridor and that's when the jaw drop effect happens, as I call it. And everyone who I've walked around so far, that's actually happened. They've turned around it and all they've got is wow. Uh, because it's just got everything that you can think of and more. Uh, so we have individual sensory rooms, we have individual therapy rooms there. Um, as I said, each classroom has their own little outs outside, outside space that allows children their own little breakout area. Um, the gorgeous canteen area has got a big training room, a huge internal quad garden um, that allows children to be able to go and have movement breaks. Everything's been thought of. And as I say, with the Witherslack taking it over as well, um, that's only going to be better. It's only going to get better because we bring a wealth of experience from across our whole organisation of people who've been doing this for many, many years. In terms of, I mean, obviously it's a brand new school, so you, you presumably you have to recruit a whole new staff body. Yeah. So I suppose there's, there's two questions I have, which is, number one, how many roles and what kind of roles are available or will be available? And the second yeah. part of the question is, what kind of people are you looking for to join this school? Okay, that's a good question. So we're, we're looking up to about 120 new jobs um, it, just in that school alone in the area. So that obviously has a knock-on effect, a positive impact on the, on the local community. Um, anything ranging from head teachers right through to teachers, to deputy head, to assistant heads, to clinical services, to teaching assistants. Um, and I, in all the schools that I've run over the years, one of my main things that I've always wanted for, for, for my staff is one, enthusiasm to make sure that they will, how can I put it, almost run through brick walls for our children to go the extra mile for them. Yes, we're looking for those people with an expertise in, in, in AST or in, in autism. However, um, I wouldn't say for all roles that's going to be um, essential because the, the training that we put in as a group builds people's knowledge, scaffolds their knowledge so they're able to contribute uh, to what we want for the children. Um, but I think the key thing is those, is those children, the people who want to make a real difference to children's lives and to, to hit the outcomes of giving them an opportunity to become part of the community when they leave, contribute to that community and be independent adults. And that's the drive that we want for the people is they all share that same vision of what we want for our children. What's the age range of the students that are in the school? So it's all the way through from key stage two to post 16. So it could um, be a, it could be a primary or secondary teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Primary, secondary or, 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 a, or post 16 as well. So almost college. Um, so we have we're going to be developing vocational uh, areas as well. Um, sort of learning for life. And um, so people who've got some skills uh, who may be uh, qualified to do post 14, post 16, they're available. In terms of qualifications for TAs, it's about making sure that we put in a package around those for the teaching assistants to upskill them. Uh, if they have, um, you know, level one, level two as a TA, great. Um, however, the person is what we're after in terms of that because it's the support for the child and we'll put the support in place. That was going to be my next question really was, if somebody is coming from a mainstream teaching background, what does what do that if they wanted to go for a job at this school, what yeah. do they need to do anything before they apply? Can they can they just apply? And I mean, how is it different from someone who's never taught in an environment like that? What are the class sizes like? 
you know? So you'll never get more than eight children in a class. Uh, so we have eight, eight children per class. Uh, I'm a big believer in uh, a good teacher is a good teacher. Very rarely do you have teachers who train specifically within special needs. I did many, many years ago, but most teachers train as subject specialists or primary um, um, teachers, depending on, on which age range they're doing. Um, and we do believe that somebody who is, a, who is a very good teacher can teach anyone. Uh, it's that's the delivery of their skill, their expertise, and imparting it to, to the child. So what we want is, is, is skilled professionals who are willing to then take on that that role, that, that model that we will put into place for them. We almost call it the Witherslap way of how we do things. Um, but essentially, Tom, as you know, being involved in speaking to teachers, I guess, for many years, um, if you can teach, you can teach. Um, and that's the most important thing. Long gone are the days where special needs needs to be seen as the, uh, the lesser friend, if you like. Our children deserve the very best in, what, in, in the teachers that, that, that come to us. So in one of my schools in rugby, I have subject specialists, history, geography, maths, English, science, and they will be the ones who are the experts in their particular field. So why should the children not have them? And then they can cascade training down to other teachers who then also deliver their subject areas as well. But it's having that passion for wanting the very best and high aspirations for all of our children. That's who we're after as the teachers. So in terms of the job roles, they, they could be subject specific. You could, you could have yeah. someone who, who has a subject discipline and they can they can still get one of these. They can still go for one of these roles and, oh, still, yeah, yeah. and still teach within their discipline. Most We're still within their discipline completely. We like to we like people to, to offer more, to want more, um, you know, to do some extracurricular stuff as well. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, if you're if you're a math specialist and you're passionate about maths and you want to reach the children who haven't been able to reach with, by, you know, with maths before, this is the job for you because you're going to be able to be maybe the first person in these young kids' lives to really be the one that gets maths over to them as something that's key and important for the rest of their lives. And the same history, um, to what my background is originally, you know, you don't know where you're going until you know where you've come from. And these kids need to know that uh, as well. So, yeah, we're wanting the passionate um, specialists who can then really support and drive these children. Because the thing is, Tom, it's it's about aspirations. Um, I say a lot of this uh, to people all the time, but um, it's a bit off, sort of bear with me here. If you see Usain Bolt running down a road and you say, why, he's a special sprinter. How many people, when you when you, when you you say that to them, how many people do you get hearing going, ah, oh, is, he, is he a special sprinter? But all of a sudden, somewhere along the line, when you say special needs, it doesn't evoke the same answer or feelings is when you say special sprinter and it should because all of our children yes they have their special needs they're just special doesn't mean negative special means unique fantastic waiting to be found waiting to be tapped into and that's the teachers who we want to, to be able to do that for us in terms of like the teacher experience in the school what, what do you anticipate that to be because obviously there's a huge amount of, of kind of pressure on on many teachers in many schools in terms of workload in terms of you know the pressure to, to do xyz and and how are you going to go about making this an attractive offer to a teacher who's moving maybe from another school who wants to work for you but their question is well how are you gonna how are you gonna look after my my well-being you know what's okay. how's that going to work so I guess the first starting point I'd say there, Tom, would be 
in the massive secondary schools or really large primary schools, there is a tendency that we can get into almost, um, you know, getting through the numbers, getting everything done, just pushing things through. Working in one of our schools is an opportunity to uniquely get to know the child, to understand the child, to be able to work really, really closely with the child and see their journey right from the beginning, right through to the end. In terms of the welfare of our, of our staff, right across the group we have, we really promote, um, a, 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 you know, healthy well-being. We, we, we want that balance between work-life. We don't expect our teachers to be going home and work until 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. Uh, we, we always make sure there's adequate enough time for people to have their PPA, normally 10%, but in a lot of cases, more. Um, because we believe that the adults as well as children need to have that that time and that space to be able to prepare, be able to get ready, um, to be able to have time for themselves. Um, in a lot of our schools, we encourage um, the well the well-being groups so that staff will meet after school uh, and be able to talk amongst themselves. A senior member of staff will come in and talk about any issues or problems as well. Um, but again, the group always sort of puts forward that if we haven't got healthy staff we're not gonna get productive staff. And that means the children aren't gonna get their best. So we have a wide range of benefits that come with joining our group that involves things like, um, you get um, sort of discounts on certain spa days and tokens and stuff that, you ha that happens within joining the organization. Um, and for some, for some roles as well, you'll actually get private medical care as well um, that you're able to access uh, if and when required. Uh, but we do work very similar to state sector in terms of T's and C's. Um, so everything that you'd be entitled to within the mainstream sector or in the state sector also applies within the group as well. I personally think, I might be biased, but I personally think it's actually enhanced um, within within our, or, or within our organization. Yeah. So yeah, that'd be the answer to that one, uh, I think, Tom. How, so finally, how, if someone's listened to this and they think, do you know what? A, I want to find out more or B, I'm ready, I want to apply. What are the different options for someone if they want to kind of find out more or maybe they want to chat to you or somebody else about this? You know, what are they, what, what can they do? So you can go on to withuslackgroup.co.uk uh, and I think if you're forward slash LCS. Careers. Yeah, oh, careers. Uh, yeah. Go, on, go on to careers there. Um, you'll have all of our job adverts and they're always being refreshed. Uh, and that's not just for Luxburg, of course, it's nationwide, but yeah. primarily for Luxburg um, there. Uh, I can I can be contacted through there as well uh, at my at my email address. That's uh, not a problem. You'll be able to see that off the group, um, or even uh, we can find a way to uh, to get out sort of um, contacts of people down at Luxburg. When I'm down there, you can email me and I can meet people uh, and show them around. But our website is a wealth of knowledge and information on it. Um, so if anybody wants to get onto there, somebody will be able to get them through to me uh, or somebody else involved with the uh, with the uh, with the school as well. So that was Robert James, the executive head teacher of Luxborough Court School. If you want to find out more, go to withuslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers. Apply for one of these roles. It sounds absolutely fantastic. Rob, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, really, really appreciate it. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. 
We are with a Slack group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. Hello and welcome back. I am with my very special guest, Gary Mottram. Gary, how are you? Can you hear me now? I can hear you. I've been able to hear you all the time, but you haven't been able to hear me. So. <laughs> of course, that was the wrong thing to say. Well, uh, I'm glad you were able to speak. Uh, now, it's great to have oh, you. Uh... <laughs> exactly. Sorry about the delay in that. And uh, thanks, Tom, for uh, the advice and refreshing your browser uh, to be able to um, to get in. So, Gary, you've... Okay. Um, You've done so much in your career. Uh, I've only had time. I only had time in my introduction to touch upon some of that, um, and I believe that you've also recently retired or semi-retired from the University of Manchester too. But you're still continuing to collaborate with them. Is that the case? Yeah, I mean, I I am uh, retired from full-time work at the university, but yes, I'm still doing a number of things, mostly around. Uh, I mean, a new MA that that uh, that currently uh, it's launching uh, next autumn but it's around sustainability in, in education so uh, it's uh, got a specific focus uh, on that topic area so I'm hoping to, to be working as part of that team just for a little bit anyway and I'm continuing to do other things as well but uh, uh, yeah I mean I'm, I'm, I'm no longer working full-time at the university although my family look at what I do and, and they wonder you know how I managed to sort of manage to do so much really so <laughs> <laughs> yes of course that, that's that's what I've heard when people retire they wonder how they've ever managed to fit in work uh, I've heard that a lot actually yeah <laughs> um, could you could you tell us a little bit more about about this um, the MA and what kind of things what kind of areas would would people be studying about in uh, in it well, this is focusing uh, on uh, educating for a sustainable world. So that that's its a, a, a official title, uh, and it's not. It doesn't focus just on language teaching. It focuses on yep. uh, a, a, you know across the curriculum, and it, it's aimed at a variety of people. So it could be teachers, it could be people in publishing. I was talking to people at Cambridge University Press last week about their developments in, in, in trying to uh, look at the, their curricula um, and uh, putting in more uh, effort to include sustainability issues within the curriculum. Uh, so it looks at, it could be policy makers, it could be, it could be people who come from uh, a background, a more scientific environmental studies background, uh, but who want to to go into education, um, so it, it, it's hopefully going to pull pull in a cross section of people. I mean, personally, uh, I, I'm still tending to focus on the the, the world of language teaching, um, and uh, some of the work that I'm currently doing is related to that. Uh, but no, the degree is, is uh, it's, it's called an MA in Educating for a Sustainable World. And, and, and I guess it's, you know, its aim is to save the planet, really. <laughs> yes, well, that sounds really interesting. Um, so, Gary, I'm, I mentioned a couple of the countries where you've worked. 
but I know that you've had considerable international experiences uh, experience over the course of your career, working and conducting projects in many, many different countries. If I ask you to look back now, which of these projects or countries do you think would be particular highlights for you? Uh, yeah, I've had to think about this. I mean, in some ways, uh, I mean, if I if I answer this question in a slightly odd way, I mean, I about sort of three or four years ago, uh, I was approached by a, a charity uh, to attend their uh, conference and, and give one of the keynotes. And I thought, hold on, I, I'm not in the world of development. Um, and so mm -hmm. I queried the, the, the request. And they said, well, you know, when we look at your profile, you seem to have worked abroad in different countries. And when we look at the articles you've written, they tend to be about things that, that, are, that are related to development. And at the time, I was just beginning to do more work uh, around using uh, sort of fairly basic uh, digital tools like WhatsApp as a way of supporting teachers who, who work in difficult circumstances. So when I think back, I mean, I guess, uh, even though I've worked in higher education and, and teacher education, working with you know, what might be considered sort of, you know, the more privileged sort of students, a lot of people uh, come on scholarships uh, who do, uh, do master's degrees at Manchester. And I've tended to work in countries, so my, my, my early experiences were in China, for example, um, yeah. and, and then we, we did a lot of work in, 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 in Poland uh, you know, after the, the fall of the, the, uh, the wall, uh, the sort of, you know, when communism uh, was, was no longer kind of in control of, of the world. Um, so we did a lot of work in Poland trying to sort of rebuild, uh, help them rebuild their, their, their work in, uh, uh, in Poland. And then I worked in Mexico uh, on a project where we worked trying to develop links, uh, you know, distance learning links. So, so in some ways, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's not, it's not sort of, you know, a particular country. It, it's, a, it's a movement, a, a direction of travel or a direction of travel in my work that I hadn't really quite uh, appreciated until these guys raised it. And, and I had a sort of a bit of an epiphany thinking, well, actually, that's what I've been doing all the time. So, you know, I was really pleased to, 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 to be doing the work that I was doing. Uh, looking at WhatsApp and working in teacher with teachers in West Africa, and I worked did some work in in uh, with uh, a, a refugee teachers who are refugees working uh, in 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 a, in in a in a Jordanian refugee camp. Uh, so so it's it's more the you know if you like the direction of travel rather than specific, specific countries that, that that have been you know have been sort of part of my world and. You know, I have done other things besides that, so it's kind of a, a bit of a mixed bag. So, as you mentioned, I've done quite a lot of European uh, projects uh, as well. But I think ultimately, you know, my 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 key interests have been around uh, looking at ways to to support people, probably uh, you know, who are not necessarily maybe they're working in mainstream education, but in countries where perhaps there isn't as much investment in education or facilities are very poor and trying to find ways, particularly trying to find ways of using technology to support teacher development, but also support sort of teaching in the classroom as well. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, um, that's really interesting that, that uh, what you said about the, um, 
being approached in that way. Um, could you expanding a little bit on that and what you said about working with refugees and asylum speakers, could you speak a little bit more about that? What exactly were you doing? I know you've written a, a paper about exploring uh, language teacher practices with teachers working with refugees, I believe. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I mean, again, this this came from you know the the, the work that that we do on, on the master's degree at Manchester. I mean, I was very conscious uh, that our master students, who these days are mostly from China, um, they were getting very little uh, they have very little contact with the local community, um, and for various you know I won't tell you the whole story, but basically I ended up contacting a local refugee charity. Um, uh, a charity who, who works with work with teachers, uh, sorry, not teachers, work with people trying to get them into higher education. And I put some of our Chinese students in contact. Well, I offered it to all of them, but, you know, quite a few of them sort of took up the offer and they started volunteering, uh, doing mostly conversation classes. But I also got involved in that as well and uh, gradually uh, have, have done more and more work. And during the pandemic, um, essentially, we were supporting the teachers. Uh, we were having a weekly meeting, uh, talking about ways of using technology, trying to uh, get them to explore different apps. Um, and, and they were also sort of, you know, they, they had ideas as well. It wasn't just, a, you know, a one-way conversation. It was, a, you know, it was a conversation that went both ways. Um, and what I've then done after that is, I mean, now I'm retired, I, I'm actually working, teaching uh, a group of students uh, on an IELTS course, but I'm, I'm trying to link that to, to the, the, the sustainability uh, work, uh, trying to design uh, learning materials that, that, you know, that focus on issues around sustainability, but also linking that out in, into, into, you know, to the actual active world of doing things uh, to, to, to make the world more sustainable. So essentially, uh, the work that uh, I, I did with refugees, I started in, in Jordan, um, and that was one of the WhatsApp projects that, that we did. Um, but also, you know, working in the local Manchester area with, with refugees who, who, who live and, and, and try to work in, in Manchester. So that's basically what we're doing. So. Great. And, and just talking about WhatsApp and this type of mobile technology, what is it about WhatsApp um, and these messaging apps such as, well, uh, that and Telegram, etc., that is particularly interesting and lent that what what is it that lends itself about them that lends itself to this type of work well i mean essentially uh, the, the the basic i mean one of my kind of starting points with project work that i do is to try and look at where people are uh, and what they have access to so uh, one of the big problems with with a lot of uh, projects that 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 get created is that they try and bring technology to the table, um, and you know, everybody's heard of projects where you know a large amounts of money are spent on I don't know the, the, the purchase of iPads or in the old days you know the purchase of computers, um, and then you know there's you know there are problems with the fact there's not enough electricity they can't charge the iPads, 
you know, people steal the iPads or whatever it happens to be, or, you know, at the end of the project, there's not enough money to pay for the apps and so on and so forth. So for me, uh, I try and look uh, to see what people are using. So uh, as part of the, I mean, I, it, it was a succession of projects. So again, I did work in Pakistan where we were, you know, we realized how important uh, even quite basic mobile phones could be to supporting conversation uh, around uh, particular teacher training sessions. So then I started sort of you know getting interested in in WhatsApp, uh, and I I actually I, I went to Rwanda to to a conference, and a colleague of mine who had been a student on the course, we went around a lot of schools talking to teachers, trying to find out you know what what they were using what they were what they were you know, able to use and whatsapp kept coming up and and in fact you know the these the, the teacher uh, training uh, community there had already been using whatsapp to some extent uh, in, in what they called you know their communities of practice work so yeah it just seems such an obvious tool to use i mean it's got you know in terms of language learning it's got text uh, it's got sound um, it's obviously got you can you can send different sort of types of of, um, uh, of document or, uh, uh, to to people. Uh, you can even do these days. You can do uh, you know you can do sort of almost uh, you, know, uh, you can use it as a kind of uh, a bit like um, a video conferencing tool uh, it, with with fairly small groups. But and, and some of them like Telegram uh, uh, are more sophisticated in that kind of way. So you know it it just seemed a possibility. People, it it's not very heavy on the use of of uh, data uh, and so on. So it just seems a possibility uh, to actually to try it out um, to explore whether that might be an alternative to to a you know, more traditional virtual learning environment. So that was the the starting point. So it's saying, okay, what do you have available that you can use? Let's try this uh, and then see where where we get to. So quite often in projects. Uh, other other technologies get get uh, mentioned by local people, and you know, uh, we we begin to use those as well. But it, it's really you know it's looking for a way in to try and help people do what what they want to be able to do, which is uh, in, in my case was was teacher education, and the English Connects project uh, that has continued to run uh, in uh, sub-Saharan Africa. Um, they very successfully used uh, WhatsApp uh, for, for uh, up, upskilling language as well. So, you know, these things have, have been built on. And, and I know that, you know, in the Americas, you've been you've been looking at Telegram in in, in Cuba, for example, where, you know, again, you've got a, a low resource context and people are, are really interested in, in having uh, uh, upskilling uh, activities. But they can't normally get them, so you know it, it, it tends to be something that you use. I mean, it is very difficult, I think, to just use it on its own. And you know, ideally, you, you would have some kind of interactive tool like Zoom um, as a way of kind of supplementing that. So, so you know, they have have different different functionalities. So, you know, that's that's what got me into it really, just sort of trying to find a, a, a localized solution. Uh, to uh, to teach, you know, providing different forms of teacher education. 
Yes, no, and, and as you said, it's something that I've become particularly interested in recently as well. And uh, you mentioned Telegram and Cuba. I was, um, I had my eyes very, well and truly opened when I was um, invited to participate in a conference with teachers, English teachers from Cuba. And there were over 3,000 teachers in one Telegram group. Um, and that was used as a way of, of being able to um, connect with the teachers together with audio files being shared when they couldn't watch videos of certain presentations, etc. So the teacher education was sort of done that way. But then also uh, there was an interactive chat session and then all of the teachers or a lot of, not all of the teachers, but a lot of the teachers actually contacted me over the course of the next week, um, asking me questions and uh, sending messages, which is fascinating. I think there's so much potential there that, uh, I need to explore as well, I think. Uh, so hearing about other people's experiences of using WhatsApp, for example, is uh, uh, is so good. Yeah, I mean, we just, you know, I mean, essentially, I think, you know, ideally, if you're, uh, if you're working in contexts where people have limited access, I mean, I sort of a baseline would be WhatsApp, but, but ideally, you might have, you know, you might use other apps at the same time. Um, like you say, you know, sometimes things have to be uh, delivered offline um, because of, of internet access. So, you know, it's, it's really sort of trying to find things that, that work for the community that, that you're, uh, you know, you're, you're interested in, in, in helping uh, rather than sort of dreaming up, you know, a fantastic sort of package of, uh, of resources um, that 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 they just can't access, and, and it, you know, I mean, it's really problematic when when that kind of thing happens. But. Yes, definitely. Um, speaking of technology, Gary, of all the, I know you you over the course of your career, you've you've used and um, implemented a lot of learning technologies. You've experienced a lot of them um, with teaching, teacher education, etc. Apart from WhatsApp, which we've talked about, which of these do you think was particularly interesting or effective? Um, and are there any, for example, that you have uh, that you believe showed potential but which didn't work out? Well, I mean, it depends on what you're talking about. In some ways, I mean, in some ways, when you look at technology, it's changed in in the way that that, that that we're able to access it. I mean, again, one of the things I tried very much to do on the master's courses that that, that I ran was to, to to not use proprietary software. Uh, and we did use some some tools um, like Toolbook, for example, um, for, for quite a long time. But we also tried to look at things where. The, you know, the, there wasn't a big upfront price that people had to pay uh, to, to be able to, to, to make use of them. So, I mean, I found tools like Google, um, the Google tools, despite all the, uh, you know, health warnings we have to slap across, you know, uh, people grabbing our data and things. Um, I mean, we, we saw that, I think, in, in during the pandemic. I mean, how useful tools like Google Doc or, or, or other uh, uh, tools within the, uh, the, the Google the Google Classroom, for example, we've used a lot of that. That wasn't 
if not a particular a particular fan of Google Classroom. Uh, but I mean, I noticed, for example, that Google Meet uh, has has become really quite sophisticated in in the last sort of you know six to twelve months, uh, whereas before it was a really basic tool. Uh, but these are uh, you know the, the tools that allow you to kind of interact. So we were talking about process writing, you know, centuries ago. It feels like now, uh, and. And that was one of the early reasons why uh, people started using word processors uh, in, in the language classroom to allow people to interact with text, to change text in, in easy ways. And then with, with tools like um, you know, to Google Docs to collaborate together. So, you know, if you're working, whether you're working, you know, in a regular classroom and you want uh, children or adults to work together on homework tasks, they, they they allow that that sort of facility. Um, so, you know, I mean, I, I I I'm I'm still a great fan of open source tools like WordPress, for example. You can use WordPress. I spent quite a long time teaching people how to produce uh, WordPress web pages to allow people to have an environment in in which they could work. So, you know, this is again an open source piece of software. Yes, you have to be able to kind of mount it on a server so that it can be used. But I mean, for a while, um, uh, um, quite a while, I, I ran a, a, a module at the university that not only taught about WordPress, but used it as its environment. So, you know, I found a, a, a chat package that we could embed within that. We had, you know, contact forms. Um, so the materials were put into to, to, to WordPress, so people followed the materials through, they watched the videos, they listened to the audio, and then they commented on, you know, on the forum. Um, so a bit like a traditional VLE. So in a sense, we created a VLE out of WordPress. So it gave people those kinds of ideas. So those kinds of open source tools uh, have always been a, a, an interest of mine. Um, so I mean I've you know over the years I've I've tried to to make use of of tools where uh, people uh, don't have to pay but I mean you know we're very conscious these days that, that that there are downsides to that but at the same time you know uh, if there are tools that that I use on a regular basis that I find very effective then you know I'm happy to pay you know pay pay for the cost of that but you know I don't want to impose that. Uh, onto onto to the students that, that that you work with. So another thing that we've done, uh, because we work with uh, students a lot in China, we try to find equivalent tools uh, it, within the Chinese context. So so instead of using Google there, we use uh, local tools that, that that operate in the same kind of way that have that sort of same interactivity. You know, so you know that that's. Um, uh, yeah, did I answer your question in, in, in that sense? So, so me, for yeah. me, the focus is on trying to find, you know, uh, tools that that allow people access to do the things that you know that, that you want to be able to do for, for for language learning, but don't necessarily require a large upfront investment of cash, basically. So, yeah. Yes, of course, it's always a, a challenge, especially. I imagine when you're working with countries that uh, ban a number of different technologies, et cetera, like, like China, yeah. that's difficult. Um, Gary, um, we, we've recently been in touch about, you've been in touch about using virtual reality, VR, 
for language teaching. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that um, because, I, as I said in our email exchange, I'm a little bit skeptical about the use of VR. By VR, I mean the virtual reality headsets, etc. Um, I haven't seen that much that I've found particularly effective. So I'd love to hear you try and change my mind about that, <laughs> if you can. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I seem to remember that you you were quite a you know you were quite committed to to VR for quite a long time when we were doing well, projects in Second Life, you know. But that uh, that for me that for me isn't really VR because for me VR means wearing of the headsets. So the yeah. idea of immersive environments, three D virtual worlds, etc., I still think have got a lot of potential. I just am not sold on the idea of having to wear a headset to experience that. I think that we, which seems to be the reason why a lot of these virtual worlds are starting to attract more attention now, you know, with the metaverse, et cetera. But sure. yeah, the, the, the actual immersive 3d virtual world, I still think has a lot of, uh, a lot to offer and I'm still interested in it. I'm just not convinced that you need to wear one of those headsets. Well, I agree with you. I mean, uh, on all sorts of levels, Graham. I mean, I, I mean, I'm working with a company uh, that's called Immerse, and, and in a, in a way, I seem to be breaking all the rules that I, you know, just told you I set myself, um, <laughs> because this is a commercial company, um, and you, you do have, to, you know, if you're a user of, of the, the the service, yeah, you have to buy yourself a headset, or you don't have to, but you know, it's recommended that you buy a headset. Um, and you also have to pay for for for, for the courses that you know, so you would do if you went to a language school, but but I think uh, even Immerse have recognised that that they you know that, that there are that people some people a some people can't use a headset and and uh, and maybe uh, the sort of claims that people make towards a sort of totally immersive engagement can be achieved equally well on a on a on a desktop uh, so they have created uh, an alternative uh, way of uh, accessing uh, their spaces uh, through through a regular desktop app so i mean i'm still skeptical about it and uh, i yeah i mean i use a, a headset and i'm sort of you know uh, exploring that but I, I still think, I mean, the thing that I learned with the, the thing that sort of struck me all the time about Second Life, I, mean, I particularly remember a, a Spanish lesson uh, or a, a couple of Spanish lessons that we attended, and I still remember them. And I still, uh, you know, pretend that I remember, you know, the language that I learned at the time, but it was so much more vivid and, and memorable um, working in, in the virtual world. So, I mean, I guess the, you know, there are commercial reasons why people want to, you know, uh, get people to buy headsets. But I think, again, as long as you, you, you don't sort of say this is the only way to do it, um, then I think it's possible to, 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 to make use of those, those tools in a variety of really interesting ways. So, and there are open source, there are still open source possibilities. So, you know, Mozilla, uh, the Fire, people who produce Firefox, they have spaces and, and there are a number of other places that where you can visit and do virtual activities. I mean, the, the interesting thing about Immerse um, is that 
it's specifically designed for language learning. Now, how often do you get apps um, that are really have decent amount of investment put into them uh, that, that are designed for language learning that also have teachers involved with the work that they do uh, and, uh, and, and where they're interested in people doing research. Now, that, that's what attracts me to the organization because they seem to have the right um, for me, you know, they, they seem to be approaching it in the right kind of way. I mean, I, I have to say, I think a lot of publishers are beginning to get that message as well now. But, you know, we've, we've all been down that long road of, uh, of you know, sort of finding uh, software or apps, as we, we call them these days, uh, that, that's either incredibly expensive or uh, if it's not expensive, it hasn't had the... Uh, the time and effort or the money invested in it to make it good. I mean, you know, your area, key area of your interest is, is in, in digital games. I mean, how many how many ELT digital games do you recommend? You, you, you know, when you look at the work that you do, it's mostly uh, around off-the-shelf uh, type of, of, of games in which you do language learning. So it seems to me that... Um, you know, uh, this particular company, in some ways, is is doing something in a way that I think is is right. You know, they're actually they're listening to what teachers say. Uh, they're letting teachers design lessons, and they're doing research around that. Um, and they're looking for ways of, of providing, you know, sort of uh, uh, sort of access to communities who can't afford high fees to to to, to get you know, cheaper access. So, you know, um, that's the sort of situation. So, I, I mean, I, I think it's got a lot of potential, but yes, you know, like like when we worked in Second Life, there, there were barriers, you know, the technological barriers yeah. and the fact that you, you have, if you have to buy a headset, I think that's going to be a real problem for most people. But if you don't, and as I say, you know, there are opportunities with this particular company not to buy the headset, then I think that there's, you know, there, there's a good chance that this could be quite an interesting area to work in. Okay, I think um, I'll definitely have to explore more. I think uh, more and more I, I see new initiatives with with uh, virtual worlds appearing. Um, and I think there's so much of a buzz around things like the metaverse, et cetera. I think uh, I definitely sure. need to start uh, spending more time looking and considering it. I think what you said about the Spanish class, I think is particularly interesting because uh, I think that's what it's all about. If you can, if you can make whatever you do, if you can make an experience particularly memorable for students, then that is half the battle, I think, if they yeah. really feel that they're, whether it's um, using technology or not, I mean, if they do, if you do something that feels a bit different or memorable, then the learning definitely sticks a lot more than, than if it's just a similar uh, environment every day. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is that it's about immersion as well. I think, you know, in a way that you, you could argue that, you know, I mean, that, the way that people um, develop a, a fluency in, in languages by being immersed in, 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 in a particular context. So, yeah. you know, if you study uh, a language uh, at a university, 
you often get sent on a, a year abroad to to you know to enjoy that language in that country. Now that's for a limited number of people. Um, so actually being able to get that experience of you know using Spanish or French or Chinese you know in in a in a target country uh, is a very privileged uh, experience. Whereas if you can make that available to people in uh, in an online way at a you know, if you say like at a price point that that people can can actually engage with, then you you are actually opening up the, the, that uh, option for to, to 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 use language to be immersed in a language space in in a similar kind of way to to, to the sort of immersion that 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 you would have if you were in the privileged position to be able to take a year out um, and 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 go to a target target language speaking country. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, I think to go back to what you were saying about second life in Spanish, the idea of having areas that were based on real life um, cities, etc. Barcelona, Madrid, for example, the Spanish, Valencia, Seville, and that you could actually go and visit, and you you were likely to meet Spanish speakers or Spanish learners um, in those places and be able to have conversations with them or to be able to feel a little bit more, um, connected to the culture, I think was a, something of particular interest to the, that kind of virtual world, I think. Sure. Um, yeah. So I think it, it's interesting to see this is sort of starting slowly to come back and become, um, this more interested in it. And I know, in the commercial world as well, outside of education, there's a lot of interest in 3D virtual world, I think, probably due to the pandemic um, sure. and the idea of people wanting to actually, rather than feel that they're just sitting in front of a screen looking at talking heads, they want a bit more of a varied uh, interaction with their co-workers, etc. And the same sure. is true, I think, in education, isn't it? What about, what about you in the pandemic? or the post-pandemic, Gary, how did you, you know, how how have you come out of that? Did you have a particularly, um, how did you feel things changed as far as your own career or uh, work is concerned? Well, I mean, I think as many people in our field have said, you know, in, in a way, uh, the pandemic was, was a very positive time for people who, who were in ed tech. Um, and in some ways, uh, you know, the, the pandemic enables us to say kind of, you know, I told you so, you know, it's perfectly possible to do these things. We've always been saying this. You just never listened to us before. And now you've kind of discovered that, you know, uh, teaching languages online or, or doing sort of master's degrees at a distance or whatever it happens to be. Uh, or working with, you know, primary school children. It's possible to do it. I mean, you know. Obviously, there there are arguments uh, about you know socialization and 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 management, particularly when you're talking ch about children and all of these kinds of things. But uh, you know, I I think it was you know uh, um, I mean in some ways, I mean I, I used to say to people, well, you know, people say, well, hasn't your life changed? Say, well, not really, because. I've always been in distance education, so yeah. you know, I mean, I'm I'm sitting in my office at home. I mean, I I've sat in my office at home through a significant part of my career, um, you know, uh, and 
you know, I mean, with having, you know, working in muds and moves with you all those years ago, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, sort of texting back and forth to each other, you know, on fairly primitive computers. But that was all that was done at odd times of the, 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 the night or, or day uh, for different people because of the time zones that we worked in. So, so in many ways, I mean, yes, I, I wasn't able to go out as much and, you know, enjoy the outside life. But in terms of my work life, it was very similar to what it had been uh, in, in the past. And, and suddenly, in my, the university where I worked at the time, but suddenly they could find money to buy us the sort of technologies we've been asking for for quite a long time. So, you know, we've been using Zoom on projects for a, a number of years, and suddenly the university, you know, which we had to pay for, and suddenly the university decided it could afford to, to pay for lots of Zoom licenses. So it's kind of interesting, really, that, uh, that, that in many ways, you know, it felt like, you know, as I say, we told you so, you know, you, if you'd have listened to us and planned, um, you know, in the, in the way we told you to, then you wouldn't be in this, quite this mess that you're in now, you know. So. Yes, definitely. And, and going back to sustainability and education and the idea of doing things in a more sort of environmentally friendly or cost-effective way, I think one of the interesting things is things like, um, you know, I used to travel a lot more before the pandemic for work, sure. um, being in a regional role where uh, in the Americas looking after overseeing different projects in different countries. One of the things that uh, was definitely the case with the pandemic is that it, it's not necessary to do that traveling. Um, sure. Obviously, there is that different experience of being with people socially that you can't replicate online, but the amount of time you can save and the amount of money you can save and, you know, not needing to fly or everywhere and all of the other associated costs, I think it's very interesting. So I um, have come out of it, I think, with the idea of our organisations, definitely we don't need to do as much travel as we're doing. Although I do see a creeping back, uh, which is quite interesting as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's the like, reality, isn't it? It is creeping yeah. back. And I think people are forgetting um, that, you know, that it, it isn't really necessary uh, to do these things. I mean, it, it was like the IATFL conference this year. I mean, I... Uh, you know, I ended up going to Belfast. Um, I, I didn't fly. Uh, I went by ferry, um, which was a very long journey. Um, mm -hmm. took a long time to, to get there and back. Um, but, you know, I was kind of committed to, to trying not to fly. But the year before, we very successfully used the, the tool Hopin. And I thought yeah. that was, you know, an equally interesting and effective conference. So, I yeah, it's nice to see people in the flesh, but that's for different reasons. But in terms of the the kind of the management and the uh, you know the, the 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 presentation of ideas at, at a conference, I, I, yeah, I I really don't think that that we do have to fly around the world anymore to do that kind of thing. And you know we you know people used to refer to it as academic tourism. And, you know, in many ways, that's a very good description. So, you know, I mean, you certainly see the, the, the impact on, uh, on, on universities uh, and in terms of, you know, questioning, you know, is, is, it, is, it, is it really necessary for, for you to do that journey? 
but you know the trouble is that people have short memories and and they forget how sweet the air smelt you know during the pandemic and and how much co2 we we you know we 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 managed not not to burn uh, by by not doing all this flying and driving and and whatever else so yeah i mean yeah so in terms of an ma for for sustainable a sustainable world i mean these are the sorts of things that we talk about and and that's not to say of course that the kinds of technologies that that we're using now of course they 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 also burn co2 so you know you have to think about yeah. that too so if you're going to use ed tech um uh you know you have to say well okay you know how can we use ed tech in a sustainable way you know so you know uh uh, you know, and lots of phones and, and, and other tools uh, uh, that, that we use on a regular basis, you know, require uh, precious metals uh, that, that are often mined in conflict areas by people who, you know, live in slave slave conditions. Um, and we kind of accept that. But, but, you know, so, you know, you have to think, well, if I'm running a project and I want it to be sustainable, I have to think of, of all of the inputs. I'm not just focusing on the flights or, or whatever. I'm focusing on, you know, if we buy technology, where am I still sourcing that technology? Is it is it is it sustainably used? Can it be recycled? Um, you know, and all of those kinds of things uh, would be part of you know of, of the sorts of things that that we might talk about on on an MA uh, of the type that uh, yeah we're running at Manchester. So. Great. Yeah, thank you, Gary. I think that's probably a good place to leave this, especially as we've gone 10 minutes over the hour, if that's we all have. right with you. <laughs> I, was, I was wondering. I, it was all right with me. I, I, I don't quite know how these things work. But, uh... We normally try and keep it to an hour, but because we had problems getting you in um, earlier, I think... Uh, it's only fair that we uh, we extended it. I think if that and it seemed okay to you, so I didn't I didn't ask, but I assumed it was okay. No, no, it's okay. I'm obviously allowed a bit more time because. Yeah. Okay. So Gary, thank you very much for joining me today. All right. Well, thank you very much for inviting me, and uh, I hope that the audience have enjoyed it as well. So. I'm sure. Uh, uh, so, okay, everybody, that brings us to the end of today's morning break. And many thanks again to Gary Mottram, today's special guest, and all of you who joined us live as well. Um, remember, there are Teachers Talk radio shows all week, and the next show will be Nathan, with Nathan Ginn at 6 p.m. British summertime. Join me again next week at the same time, and bye for now. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.